Thank you for reading that. Do, um, do keep that open. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Graham. I'm one of the leaders here at Grace. Uh, let's pray as we come to God's word together. Let's pray. Uh, God says, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. So please, Father, might we uh, be humble before you now. Uh, Might we long to hear your word, to uh, tremble before it in its truth and its beauty and its direction and its purpose. And please, in your kindness, be at work amongst us, we pray. Amen. Uh, well, I'm, I'm currently uh, reading a biography of Thomas Edison, if you've heard of him, an American inventor, an amazing guy. He invented really hundreds of different devices. Um, he, he actually has over a thousand patents registered in his name of different things. It's quite remarkable. Um, but if you know of him, what is he best known for? Who, who knows their, their history? Tim, the light bulb, the light bulb. At the time, lighting indoors was through gas lamps. Turn on the gas, you know, light a match, burning away, fumes everywhere. And along comes the light bulb, and you can just flick a switch, and light comes on. Uh, amazing inventor, incredible guy, but if you wanted to put something sort of center stage to, sh- to say, what, what, what did he really do? What really shows off his genius? What, what displays him to the world? It would be the light bulb. What then is God's light bulb equivalent God does lots of things through history. God achieves lots of things. But if you wanted to show God off, if you wanted to put something center stage which displayed God, what would it be? That's what we're going to see in this passage. Uh, We're studying this letter by the Apostle Paul to a church in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. And we've been saying that the first three chapters we're working through focus on what it is God has done through Jesus, his work through Jesus. The difference Jesus makes between us and God, kind of vertically, what happens in that relationship, and the difference Jesus makes between us and others who believe in him, the sort of work horizontally. That's what Paul has been covering in these first chapters. And this section we're in now, chapter 3, verse 1, have a look. Verse 1 says, for this reason, I... And what he means is, is because of these truths I've just been explaining, because of what God has done in Jesus so that we're united to him and we're united to each other, for this reason, I, Paul... And then he kind of, he kind of breaks off. And what he was almost certainly going to do was going to pray. 
Because if you glance on to verse 14, you see he picks up, for this reason I kneel before the Father, and he prays. And so we're going to pick that up next week as to what he was going to pray in the light of all these truths. But he now gives a little aside. He breaks off to give a little bit of explanation. And the explanation comes because of how he describes himself. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. So I'm... uh, I'm locked up in prison. That's where he is. That's where he's writing from. And, it, and it's preaching the gospel about Jesus to the Gentiles that has got him in prison. So he's saying, I'm a prisoner of Christ for your sake. And then he thinks, well, perhaps they won't quite understand my role in God's whole plan and, and how, God, how God is using me and my role with regard to the Gentiles. And so he breaks off. And he says, verse 2, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. The administration of God's grace is a funny phrase. It's it's like how God has organized things. How God has administered his grace. How he sorted it out through Paul for you for the sake of the gentiles and what he's going to explain is well how has god used me then how has he administered his grace through me for you that's what he's explaining and that's why he comes back to it in verse 13 at the end i ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory That when you understand how God is using me, you won't be embarrassed that I'm in prison. You'll see how God has been using me for you. And you'll rejoice in that and think it's brilliant. So that's what he's doing. The first thing he explains then about his role is that God's mystery is revealed. God's mystery is revealed. Verse 3. The administration of God's grace given me to you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. Now, when we say the word mystery in English, we, we often mean something you know, mysterious. You can't understand it, can't get your head around. It's a mystery, we say. That's not what Paul is talking about when he uses that word. It's not, it can't be. He goes on to talk about how it's made known and understood. So it can't just be a mystery. It's more like a secret that has been hidden that is now revealed. Um, I once planned a special uh, birthday trip for Karis Uh, and it was a secret we were going to go away somewhere and she didn't know where and I told her it was somewhere special and I dropped hints but she didn't know and she couldn't work it out and people people you should say to people oh yeah we're going away for my birthday it was a particular birthday and uh and so where are you going she said I don't know it's a mystery by which she didn't mean and I'll never know (laughs) It's currently a mystery to me. And then the day came when we got in the car and set off. 
and all was revealed. Um, it was Devon, by the way, but that's like... <laughs> it was a particular place. You'll have to, I'll have to explain. Don't worry. You get the idea. Something's hidden, then it's revealed. God says he's got a mystery, a secret plan of what he's going to do and achieve in Jesus. Verse 4, it's called the mystery of Christ. And he says, back in verse 3, that mystery has been made known to me by revelation. God has opened my eyes. He's let me see it. And he's then explained it to them. So verse 3, as I have already written briefly. In other words, what he's been describing the letter so far is to do with the mystery. He's been explaining it. So verse 4, in reading this, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. He's already explained it. It's not something, we're not going to something new in a second. But this is a mystery which, verse 5, was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. See, the way God works, God, God always reveals himself. He reveals himself to people, but he's done it in stages. So he's revealed truth to people, but people in previous generations then knew something, but they didn't know this. They didn't know everything. It's come in stages. God's revealed it now by his apostles and prophets. Apostles are those like Paul who saw the Lord Jesus, who were specially commissioned by him, authorized to speak for him. Uh, prophets here is probably not Old Testament prophets because he says it's revealed now by the apostles and prophets and and if it was old you'd probably put the prophets first if it was the old testament then new testament so it's 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 almost certainly referring to others who spoke and wrote about the gospel but who weren't specifically apostles those sent by jesus you could think of someone like um uh, Luke, for example, who wrote the gospel, Luke, he wasn't an apostle. But God revealed things to him to teach others. And this is why we read the Bible as one book, but kind of in order. It's like if we're reading the Old Testament, we know that more is coming. And that we have to read to the end to understand it all. And if we're reading the New Testament, we know we've, we've kind of got the final sp- chapters but it's all come in light of what he said earlier. That's the way the Bible works. Now, what is at the heart of this mystery? Uh, have a look at verse 6 with your neighbor for a moment. He says, uh, this mystery is. From verse 6, what do you think the mystery is? How would you sum it up? You've got 60 seconds with your neighbor. Have a think for yourself, and then we'll feed back.
Okay, let's draw back together. Just wanted to get you thinking for a second. Anyone want to have a go? How would you sum up what the mystery is from verse 6? Matt? All the things that made the Jews special can now be yours. All the things that made the Jews special can now be yours, you Gentiles, those who aren't Jews. So what they had, you now have. Yep, that's one way of putting it. Anyone else want to have a go? Yeah, Tim? The gospel for everyone. The gospel for everyone. So that there's, it's, it's that the Gentiles are included, certainly that everyone's included. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, Richard? Yes, yeah, so more than this, that they're included, that they're actually becoming one, that all that they had is yours. There's a kind of a unity between them. So this, this, let me just explain, this mystery language can be explained more broadly or narrowly. So actually he used this word back in chapter 1 to refer to the mystery of the gospel being revealed, that everything was going to be united under one head, which was Jesus. Right? There's a, there, there, there's a broader picture. Everything's going to come under the Lord Jesus. But as they're brought under the Lord Jesus, they're united together. Here, it's a little bit narrower. It's specifically that the Gentiles are going to be included and united together under Jesus. So it's, not a, it's not a different thing than chapter 1. It's a more specific focus that they're united together under Jesus with the Jews. Of course, if you know your Bible a bit, the idea of the Gentiles being included... You might be thinking, well, that's not a mystery recently revealed. Because actually, back in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, it said God's blessing was going to go to the Gentiles. All nations will be blessed, we were told. God's always planned to include them. The mystery, in a sense, is how that works. And it's emphasized in verse 6 in a word that Paul uses three times. You see the word he repeats three times? Well, what is it? Fellow. Fellow is, it depends on your translation actually. Fellow is one. Other translations have? Together. See, it's in, in, the, one, in the Red Bibles, it's heirs together, members together, sharers together. Or it's fellow heirs, fellow members. Or you could translate it co-heirs, co-members, joint heirs, joint members. That's the idea. See, the Jews would have thought, oh, the Gentiles will be included in God's blessing, but somehow they'd be kind of behind us. Not together, not joint, not co the mystery revealed is how Jesus unites Jew and Gentile into this new humanity we've been seeing in chapter 2. So you don't have a Jews and Gentiles. Well, you do have them, but now you have a new breed. You have Christians, those who are in Christ. And whatever their background before, they are unite, united together. co heirs co-members co-sharers it's about how we're all now included in God's people and family and temple as we thought last week you see this emphasizes 
again, we've seen this, it's both, it's both like the privilege of the gospel, that is what is true of us if you trust in Jesus, that, that you become heirs looking forward to inheritance, you become part of Jesus' body, connected to him, you, you have God's promises of salvation. There's this great privilege, and if you're thinking about the Christian faith, this is the offer to you that you could have these things. It emphasizes privilege, but it also emphasizes togetherness, equality, and being bound together in these things. That is the mystery now revealed. No matter what our background, no matter what our differences, we are united. There are no, there's no such thing as a second-class Christian. The mystery has been revealed through Paul, amongst others. Uh, secondly, then, in explaining his role, he says, God's gospel is proclaimed. Verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. He's been given a specific role by God to be a servant of this message. Verse 8. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. So I became a servant of the gospel. I was given the task of preaching it, proclaiming it to others, making it known. He doesn't think he was worthy of such a role. I'm less than the least of all God's people, but I was given this grace. It's like a gift given to me that I could go and do this so that I could preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. That is all that God has done in Jesus for us. It's riches, it's, it's gold, it's precious, it's boundless riches. It has no uh, circumference to it, it has no limit. It's sort of immeasurable, unplumbable depths of riches. This, I think, is like a little summary phrase of, of the opening chapters. If you want to, you want to see, what, what are the first three chapters of Ephesians about? Boundless riches of Christ would be a not, not a bad summary. All God has done in Jesus. And so, verse 9, I, I preach it to the Gentiles, and verse 9, and make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. That's alluding back to what we've just seen, the administration, how God has done it, how he's revealed this secret to Paul. And Paul's role is now to make plain to everyone what God has done through Jesus, specifically to the Gentiles. He was called the apostle to the Gentiles. Um, it wasn't limited to them, he spoke to Jews as well. But he particularly brought the gospel to the Gentiles. That's why he said, I was a prisoner, verse 1, for the sake of you Gentiles. So the mystery has been revealed, made known. And so now Paul has a specific role of proclaiming that message. To make plain to everyone. So that they would know 
those riches and that those riches could be theirs. He had a specific role in that, a specific commission. We all together as a church pick that, that role up. The mystery's been revealed. We want to make it plain to everyone. We want everyone to hear about the boundless riches of Christ. And so we, you know, we pray, as we prayed earlier. We pray for the gospel to spread. We pray for it to spread through us and through mission partners and elsewhere. We pray for people we know. We look to share this gospel message where we can. That's why we're running seven lives. Pray God would use our seven lives distribution. Why we're running Hope Explored. Pray for people coming on Hope Explored. That's why at our home group last week we shared about some people that we know who we're looking to share the gospel with and prayed for them and so on. The mystery's been revealed and so the gospel is now being proclaimed. But this is all so that something else can happen. Thirdly, God's wisdom is displayed. Verse 10. His intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God has a purpose in all of this. In revealing the mystery and the the gospel, containing that mystery going forward, he has a purpose. His purpose is that his wisdom is made known. That people see how brilliant he is. How wise he is. What sort of wisdom? Manifold wisdom. That is, that is like numerous and varied. Uh, it's like, um, like you could sort of almost make it like multicolored or many-sided. Like holding up a jewel and looking at it from different angles. And you're going, there's lots of elements to this wisdom. This is is a rich thing, an amazing picture. God wants to make known his manifold wisdom. How wise, how brilliant he's been. That's what he's making known. Who is he making it known to? It's to... The rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Those are cosmic supernatural forces, almost certainly ones that oppose God, because the same phrase is used later in chapter 6 about the rulers and authorities, the dark forces of this evil age. There are, there, there are, There is only one God, but there's more than one supernatural being. And there are evil supernatural beings headed by Satan, who we read about in chapter 2. And God is displaying how wise he is to them. How is he doing it? He's showing his wisdom, he's showing it to them. How is he doing it? Verse 10. Through the church. Through the group created by Jesus. Those who are brought from death to life and reconciled to God. Those who are 
who are united with each other, who form God's people, his family, his temple, all that we've seen so far, looking at them will show off how wise God is. The church is the pinnacle of God's work. He sends Jesus so that there can be salvation, so we can, we, can, we can be forgiven. Yes. He sends Jesus so we can have, have new life and have a relationship with him and be adopted. Yes. But ultimately, he sends Jesus so that there can be church, which includes those other things, but is more than those things. Verse 11, see, this is all according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's eternal plan, what he always wanted to achieve, that's what he's brought about through Jesus. He's created church. He sent Jesus so there could be church, so that he'd be shown off as brilliantly wise and glorious. I said, what is God's light bulb? (laughs) What would you put center stage to show off how great he is? It's us. Unbelievably. It's us. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, this has been building. We've seen Jesus breaking down barriers, uniting us, making us his his people, his family, his temple. We've said that this this has increased the premium on how we think of church and the preciousness of what church is, and that's just gone up another notch. He's like he's turned it up to 11. The church is God's masterpiece, showing off his multicolored wisdom. There are, I think... Primarily implications here for how we think about church, how we see church, how we feel about church. See, we gather here together each week. We gather in our home groups and see each other at other times and so on. And you know, um, we're not a very spectacular bunch of people, really. We're kind of quite ordinary This isn't a particularly spectacular building we meet in. In fact, it's often quite dirty. And um, I I wouldn't want to pretend our services together are particularly spectacular events. But what is happening here is spectacular. It is amazing. It is showing off God's wisdom. And glory to, to, the, to, these, to these watching powers. Behind the ordinariness and some of the messiness, God is showing himself off. You, you can't have a higher view of church, I think, than we see here. And here's the thing I mean, come back to Edison and light bulbs. The first time someone flicked a switch and the light bulb came on, everyone kind of went, wow. Look at that. And it's still going, it's still on. What? Off, on, off, wow. 
And then, of course, it just becomes normal. Great. Extraordinary. Here's our danger. This, this is regular and normal and ordinary in lots of ways and yet amazing. Spectacular. And if we're thinking that way, if this is our view of church, of what this is, who we are, what God is doing, I think you walk through those doors differently. It's not just, oh, this is here, this is where I am at 10.30. Think what God is doing at 10.30. You arrive at home group differently. We relate to each other differently. And that, and that view of church, that high view of church, the preciousness and premium, then flows into the life of church. And I want to be careful not to sort of in a sense say too much. We've said chapters 1 to 3 have no commands because it's all description of what God has done. And so I don't want to turn it into a, a whole series of do, do this, don't do that. Because the whole point is we're supposed to stand back and just go, wow. There are no commands. But it's all anticipating chapters 4 to 6, which all flow out of this view. We're going to hear in later chapters about how we should treat each other, about how we stay united, about how we're gentle, about how we forgive each other, about how we build each other up, about how we love each other and forgive each other. And and all of that is so significant because of this. Because it's in living out life that way that God's wisdom is wonderfully displayed. that's That's all coming up. And all that takes on such importance and vitality and significance because of this. Because of what God is doing. Because our life together is how he's displaying his wisdom to a watching world. And it might feel very ordinary in lots of ways, but it is spectacular. Just um, to kind of land this a little bit more, um, Fiona, could you come and join me at the front? We were talking about this um, earlier in the week, and Fiona made this enigmatic comment that verse 10 had been one of the most significant verses for her in thinking about church and life. And I just thought one sort of one more personal testimony of um, how this has shaped life would be really helpful for us. So... Fiona. It's great to be able to speak about this because over the last few years I've found these truths in Ephesians really life-changing, um, particularly some of the verses from our passage today as I've come to understand more about God's purpose in the church. Um, verse 10 that Graham was just speaking about there, through the church God's revealing his wisdom in the heavenly realms. Just considering the magnitude of that, uh, the significance of the church in God's plan, but also that I am part of that. Um, God in his grace has redeemed me into his church um, and through his church, um, his eternal purposes to unite all things in Christ 
is being shown to the cosmos. I'm not sure what I thought the purpose of my life was before that point, but it certainly didn't have any cosmic significance. Um, and as God has shown me that my rescue life is part of this eternal purpose, it's changed my whole perspective, what I'm living for, who I'm living for, what I do with my life. Uh, before I would have said my life was lived for God, uh, but it was m- me and God. Um, uh, but as the Spirit has worked in me through these words, over time the me and God has become us in God. Um, and my purpose has become our purpose as part of this amazing plan for Christ's church. So the building of his church and um, using the gifts he's given us to help one another grow, uh, to keep each other going, to pick each other up, nothing else makes more sense than this. Um, He has actually changed the desires of my heart. I, I still have many foolish, worldly desires, don't get me wrong, but in God's grace and changing power, many of them have been replaced to love the things he loves. Um, to love the people he loves. Um, and so the direction of my life has changed. Um, and we, we need each other, and time spent, and life spent loving and serving each other, helping one another grow in him is my purpose, and yours also. Um, and I'm so grateful for the grace of God, to have my sins forgiven, to be brought into God's family, to be brought into this family, his family. Um, joy in experiencing Christ's heart for us, as we live as his church together, um, experiencing his grace and power in working in us, uniting us, um, as part of this great redemption plan for all things in heaven and earth. What a privilege that is. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to think, be able to have a chance to think about this more in our small groups over this week. We've just got a minute now, just with your neighbour, maybe what struck you, uh, what you want to take away from that. Um, and um, any questions, we'll just have a moment for any questions, and then we'll uh, finish our service. Just a moment with your neighbour, go for it.